Formosa Files is sponsored by the Frank C. Chen Cultural Foundation. My name is Mark Crilly. I'm an author, illustrator, and you're listening to Formosa Files. Today's topic, my latest graphic novel called Lost in Taiwan. Okay, real quick. I probably don't need to tell you that many folks in Taiwan are super fans of Japanese comics called manga. Nor will it come as a surprise to hear that many people here are practically addicted to anime or Japanese animation. It has a very distinct style, and while Korea might be crushing it in TV dramas and movies, Japan dominates manga and the anime world. But not entirely. Artists from France to Australia have created manga, and anime has been adopted by many other cultures as well. In the United States of America, one of the better-known artists who has used the manga style in his work is Mark Crilly. He's kind of a big deal. He even has his own Wikipedia page. Seriously, all jokes aside, Mark literally wrote a book called Mastering Manga, which has been translated into like a dozen-something languages. So, I was a little bit surprised to see his latest graphic novel come out with a title, Lost in Taiwan. It turns out, Mark Crilly spent time in Taiwan in the late 1980s and early 1990s, teaching English. So I sent him an email, and he very quickly responded and agreed to chat, and here's our conversation. Okay, you're from Michigan, you graduated from Kalamazoo College, and yes, I am reading from your Wikipedia bio. <laughs> okay, so the question is this, why Taiwan? You finish, you know, doing all this, and then what? You decide to come to Taiwan and teach English? Well, I love that question, and I'm going to try not to spend too much time answering it. But I'll just say that when I was in college my sophomore year, I uh, fell in with a group of uh, exchange students from Europe, and I became quite fascinated with the fact that they could speak multiple languages and all this stuff. And so I planned a trip to go visit all of them and had a ball for like three months. And after that, I really was hooked on this idea of foreign travel. And so, you know, Kalamazoo College had a great foreign study program, which led me to uh, studying in Senegal in West Africa and trying my, be- you know, trying my best to learn French, n- never getting very far with it. But at that time, I met a student from Japan, and I think that was when I got the dream of going to Japan or to the Far East in general, because, of course, I had never been to that part of the world. And what happened is my plan for going to Japan was based on a fellowship. And I was too optimistic to think that I was going to win this thing. And I didn't. And uh, as I got near to graduation, I was like, what am I going to do? And I was uh, explaining my sorry situation to uh, the wife of one of my English professors. And she said, uh, well, you know, Scott, Scott Friesner was his name. He taught English at the YMCA in Taiwan back in uh, the late 70s would you be into doing that? You know? And I was like, yeah, but I'll take anything, you know, but uh, something that gets me to the far East, that sounds exciting. Right. But uh, truthfully, I would have had trouble finding Taiwan on, on a map. At that <laughs> you joke about that in the book. If I can give a, a spoiler, you have them joking about uh, how they can't tell the difference between Taiwan and Thailand. That's right. That's right. I got, uh, I got a couple of different references in there about that kind of thing. Um, but for sure, it all was a result of him writing a letter of recommendation, getting me in with the YMCA, and I was off and running. So that hopefully long-winded answer, but that tells you why I ended up going to Taiwan. 
Yeah. So the YMCA, this is weird because most of the people who come to Taiwan to teach English end up teaching at one of these, you know, Bushiban cram schools, as they're called, right? And usually it's for very young children, but you weren't doing that then. You were teaching adults? Well, they had the whole gamut, really. I, I was teaching students of all ages, but I especially loved teaching the kids. At that time, it was a fairly big group of us that all came in there. There was a quick orientation in Taipei, and then we all you know, went off on our different buses and trains to get to our individual locations. Uh, but uh, yeah, I have fond memories of the, of the YMCA, and, and I'm very grateful to them for you know giving me my first in and allowing me to live there in Taiwan. Did they give you like a crash course in teaching English, or you just sort of found your way? <laughs> That's a great question. They gave us almost no preparation at all, <laughs> and I remember I remember being thrown into the classroom, and I'm like, "All right, here we go," you know, and I just had to make make it up. Now I was an art major, and so I would use those skills to create teaching materials. And uh, yeah, you know, I think I found my footing pretty quickly. And you know how the Taiwanese people are; they're very kind and forgiving of a novice <laughs> like myself. And, I think I became a pretty good teacher eventually. You know, and we talked about me sharing some uh, photos with you of my time in Taiwan. At least a couple of them uh, include me with the kids, you know. Cool. Uh, these Taiwanese kids all gathered around me, some of them like standing on top of me practically. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that So this is yeah. this is 1988 and um you're in Zhanghua. When was the last time you were in Taiwan? 1994. Well, I would wager that if you came back here tomorrow and you went to Jianghua, you would note that not all that much has changed. Yeah, it's one of those places that's sort of sort of frozen in time. But of course, they've had more exposure to uh, Westerners you know, since, since then, of course. But what was it mm -hmm. like uh, for you? Were you like the only white Warren or were there a few of you? There were a few of us, but I, I think in 1988, seeing an uh, American person in the street was a little more of a novelty back then. And you almost felt like a movie star sometimes. People would come <laughs> up and they wanted to talk to you, you know. And depending on your temperament, some Americans found this very irritating, right? It was yes. like, I can't go anywhere without people coming up to me. Uh, but me, I ate it up. I was like, this is great. <laughs> people are, you know, paying attention to me and it's so easy to make friends, you know. And, uh, yeah, the, the hospitality of the Taiwanese people was, you know, nothing short of miraculous. And I'll, just, I'll quickly tell you a story of when my friends and I, three of us, we went off to a very small town and went into a restaurant. We barely could speak any Chinese at all, and they couldn't speak any English, and we did our best to order stuff from the menu. And they started bringing us stuff that we hadn't ordered. And we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? They're just, they're we didn't order this. We're going to have to pay so much more than what we... It turned out they were just giving it to us for free. And uh, I mean, just wanted you to taste the good stuff. Yeah. It was so unusual for them to have uh, foreigners come into their restaurant. They were just gifting us all this food. Yeah, yeah well, and I'll just tell you by comparison, and, and uh, you know, my wife is Japanese, so I shouldn't say anything too negative about Japan. But when I, I taught English in Japan, kind of between mm. my two, two stints in Taiwan, and it almost ruined my experience of Japan because I was so used to people coming up and talking to me. And I was in this northern area of uh, Japan where, you know, people were quite reserved. 
And I was like, oh man, it's so hard to make friends here, you know, that kind of a thing. So uh, yeah, you know, beyond the sort of feeling like a celebrity thing, it was just great in terms of being able to make friends and, and really plug into Taiwan itself and, and not get roped into hanging around with Americans all the time. Mm. Japan uh, and Taiwan are very closely linked, right? Because of the 50 year uh, colonial period sure. and Taiwanese, their favorite destination for travel is Japan. And there's very strong feelings of affection for Japan and Japanese culture. I have a 15 year old daughter and she'll butcher me if I don't get these terms right. You know, like the difference between <laughs> anime and manga or, you know, <laughs> attack on Titan, me, 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 or whatever. She's uh, studying Japanese and studying art because this is her passion as well. Fantastic. Yeah. It really is in a way like, uh, you know, of course, the Star Wars uh, people have their, you know, their Jedi faith. But there are people <laughs> who are uh, basically, you know, almost religious based on either manga or anime yeah. and stuff. So I'm assuming that because you've dedicated your career to this, that you must have fallen in love with it. And I'm interested to know, like, what made you form that attachment? Yeah, well, you know, when I was in Japan, I would go to restaurants and when there were no seats, they would have a place where you'd have to sit and wait to get a table. And next to that, invariably, there would be a bookshelf with uh, manga for mm. you to flip flip through while you were waiting. And I think that was my first sort of exposure to, to the drawing style. And I was really struck by the way they drew eyes and different things like that. When I was in Japan, I created a comic book story called uh, Akiko or Akiko. Now, there wasn't so much Japanese influence in that drawing style. That was more of like just my own American drawing style. But there were little hints of it here and there. And as years went by, I had the opportunity to do a new series. And I decided, let's make this my manga series. And I'll try to teach myself how to draw using the manga style. And I'll make the story take place in Japan and I'll play around with some of the tropes of uh, shoujo or sort of the romance-oriented graphic novels or manga. And uh, yeah, it was called Miki Falls, and I was kind of off and running with getting absorbed into that uh, drawing style. Let's not get too much into Japanese romance manga comics um, that you can find uh, wrapped in plastic at uh, the various convenience stores and businessmen reading them on the train. Oh, Lordy, that is some graphic, graphic, graphic stuff. <laughs> I was sure to stay away from that kind of thing. But uh, for sure, there's a lot of um, things that take place in manga stories, one thing, for example, is that it seems to me there's almost always a rooftop scene where hmm. two characters or more will go to the rooftop of the high school and have a important conversation together, right? Okay. And uh, you see it happen again and again. And so I worked one of those into my story, Miki Falls, uh, a very pivotal conversation. But I haven't worked exclusively in, in manga style in all the hmm. years following that. But it's certainly uh, something that has become, I'd say, like half of what I do, maybe. But do you think that your art is still got like a, an American tinge to it? Or, you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Still, did you go over completely to the other side or you still brought your culture with you? No, I think it's uh, everything I do invariably is like a hybrid between the two. <laughs> I was always sort of doing my best to emulate certain aspects, but never really losing my own fundamental approach to things as an artist. Yeah. So let's go to your latest uh, graphic novel is Lost in Taiwan. 
and it doesn't actually tell your story of being in Taiwan, and it isn't set in 1988. That's right. That's right. I wanted to do something that would allow me to pay tribute to Taiwan without being bound by the restrictions of my own autobiographical experience, which wasn't very dramatic, to be honest. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I I arrived in Taiwan wanting to fall in love with it, and I proceeded to fall in love with it. So that's not much of a story in terms of um, you know making a book that's going to hold people's attention. So I kind of went the opposite and said, let's invent someone who doesn't want to be in Taiwan, doesn't care about mm -hmm. Taiwan, and is sort of stubbornly refusing to engage with Taiwan. And uh, that is, of course, the main character, Paul. And mm. uh, then I came up with my way of uh, forcing him to deal with Taiwan and uh, eventually fall in love with it as I did. And that's a more interesting thing to watch as it occurs little by little. But you did put him in your beloved Zhanghua. Well, it's called Zhang Bei. I invented this town that uh, clearly uh, based on Zhanghua, but I think it, I gave myself the freedom to break away from the real Zhanghua. I mean, for example, anyone who's been to Baguashan to see the uh, big Buddha there, they know that it is not much of a mountain as mountains go. Uh, <laughs> in my story, there's a big golden Buddha, which, of course, is a completely different color from what we see in Changhua, and it's way up on a mountain peak somewhere. So it's uh, that was sort of the benefit for me of going with the invented town of Zhangbei, uh, create any scene I wanted to that might have a little of the flavor of Changhua, but uh, allow me to create scenes that you couldn't actually experience if you went. To, that Buddha that scene <clears throat> is really beautiful. The angle that you have of, of looking up and then the at least for me, the colors seem to, the warmth of it seems to be like a, a homage to Taiwan's summer, if uh, I, if I can oh, be pretentious. Interesting. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I have happy memories of uh, going up to Baguashan at nighttime and mm -hmm. the, the sort of atmosphere of being in that location. And you have Chinese spoken by some of the characters, like Chinese characters. That's right. I decided early on that I wanted this story to give people the experience of what it's like to be in uh, not just Taiwan, but a foreign country where you hear people speaking a language that you don't understand. And so I put Chinese language into the speech bubbles of all the characters that would be speaking Chinese to each other. And that uh, puts, of course, Paul uh, is in this situation of not being able to understand what they're saying, but it puts the reader into that situation with him. Uh, but you can see there's almost an obsession with language in the story, and I keep coming back to it uh, with uh, Paul wanting to learn how to say thank you and uh, learning how to recognize at least one character. And that all just comes from my own sort of love of the Chinese language and, and wanting to somehow get the readers of this story to maybe begin to fall in love with it themselves. So let's take um, the fact that Taiwanese people are friendly as a given. And let's, uh, if you don't mind, give me a couple of things that you liked. So let's take food and friendliness out. And then also um, <laughs> maybe some things that you did not like, because, you know, you can't have light without darkness. A story needs an arc, you know, um, that kind of stuff. Okay. Wow. Well, let me think of this. You know, it's funny how you say take food and friendliness out of it. <laughs> um, you know, I think part of what I liked about Taiwan uh, and my experience of it anyway, was that uh, it didn't feel like it had been completely transformed by tourism. 
Mm. And as you wandered around, especially like that in Zhanghua and went down little side streets and so forth, you felt that you really were seeing an authentically interesting location that didn't become that way because it wanted to be pretty for the tourists' cameras. I hear you. And I've, you know, by way of comparison, I had the great good fortune of being able to take my family to Venice a few years back. And again, there's no more beautiful city in the whole world, but it has adjusted to the influx of tourists and it's become a kind of a different thing, uh, certainly compared to a place like Zhanghua. And so there's that, you know, that's that authentic experience of discovery, I think would be one of the first Mm. things. Now you asked me about things that I didn't like. Yep. Mm, now that's a good question. You know, for me, it would be like air pollution. Yeah, yeah. The pollution was a big thing, and you would occasionally see um, that people had just dumped a bunch of garbage somewhere, <laughs> and you thought, "Oh man, that's that's not cool." Um, I suppose one thing that I would say, uh, you know, by way of like sort of humorously disliking something was that. I found that um, the Taiwanese people could be quite blunt about commenting on your appearance. Oh, yes. Uh, and if you, so if you had like a pimple or something <laughs> that, you, that you were hoping nobody would notice, they would actually point and say, oh, hey, you've got a, a pimple there, looks like, or whatever, you know. And so culturally, there was not that um, taboo of no. commenting on someone else's uh, appearance. And that's just a tricky thing to get used to, you know, because it yeah. just makes you self-conscious. Have you gained weight? You look right <laughs> or whatever, you know? Yeah. So that's a sort of an interesting thing because I, I think if you stay in your own country all your life, you begin to think that a, a lot of things are universal all across humanity. But with the, you know, discovering that in Taiwan, and I'm sure a fair number of other countries that it's fair game and fine and not no one's going to take offense at commenting mm-hmm. on someone else's uh, appearance or weight or whatever so uh that was something that you know i'm not going to say oh it's, i hated it or whatever but that that took some getting used to so we've talked a little bit about your book moving a, a little bit away what's your opinion on ai and the effect that this is having on specifically people in your industry or creators? Yeah, you know, it's very early days to see what happens with this. Of course, it's, you know, for someone who writes and illustrates for a living, it's a little terrifying to think that uh, some app could just come along and replace all that. I I can't imagine that AI would be able to come up with the idea of the angle, looking up at the Buddha picture, the lighting, (laughs) the shading on that. There's going to be a place for humans because if nothing else, you have to be able to describe what you want to the AI. That's right. That's right. And I think, um, yeah, we're a long way from from this story ideas and plot twists and stuff like that being able to be uh, generated by the computer. Well, it's been awesome having you on the program, and we are definitely going to put links. And I know for a fact that it's being sold online here with the Temping Bookstore, which is one of the biggest uh, ones that we have. I personally have to recommend your book for just that. Even for those of us who have been here for a long time, it makes you look at things um, with a different 
perspective. You know, I know it sounds cliche, but you're looking at this image of a street and you're thinking, yeah, you know, I look at it sometimes and I see the cockroaches running back and forth and the, the, the scooters, but I don't appreciate the, the beauty that is actually there. And with that art, you're able to step back and go, you know what, actually, you know, it's kind of pretty in its own way. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. I'm delighted to hear that it can have that uh, effect on you. And of course, it's a thrill to know that it is available uh, as a book in Taiwan. You know, that's that was kind of the dream as I was creating the story. Boy, I, I hope that this book can get over there so that the people of Taiwan can read it because it, it's like a big fat love letter to uh, Taiwan and, and the Taiwanese people. Um, and, but I, it hadn't occurred to me that someone like you who has lived there for 20 years. And I can't imagine that over time, you know, it becomes your home and you kind of stop seeing things as foreign. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's kind of nice to know that certain parts of the story allowed sort of you to reawaken that sense of awe uh, that a foreigner has when they first come to Taiwan. Mark, thank you so much for being on Formosa Files. Thank you, Eric. It was such a pleasure. And I really appreciate you having... Uh, read the book and having prepared so many great questions. <laughs>